Today is going to be uh, the next installment in our series about questions that we have. And, and today's topic deals with one that I think every pastor gets asked at some point in, in their ministry. I know I've been asked this more than once. Um, the question is, do animals go to heaven when they die? Do pets or other animals go to heaven when they die? Our text today is going to be found in the New Testament book of Romans. So if you have your Bible, I'd ask for you to head to Romans chapter 8. And we're going to start reading in verse 18. Romans chapter 8 and verse 18. And I want to say as we begin that I know that this is a very personal question uh, for many people. It's near and dear to many people's hearts because uh, animals and, and, and pets and things like that uh, mean a great deal to uh, to many folks. And of course we've all heard the phrase things like all dogs, what? All dogs go to heaven. There was a, a movie out some time back with the same title and and uh, and and in my study this week, I saw very emotional responses to the question of whether or not pets and other animals go to heaven. Uh, one one thing, you know, sometimes I, well, I, I just Googled it just to see what people were saying. One, one response that I saw was a picture of a golden retriever, and he was almost smiling. He was laying down, and, and somebody had photoshopped all these a blue sky and these great big uh, billowy clouds behind him and a rainbow, and it was very... Uh, sentimental looking and and uh, and to see people's written responses was very interesting because whenever whenever somebody would say yes I believe that animals go to heaven when they die people were fine with the idea that Fido was in Jesus's presence but if someone would even suggest that that wasn't the case well you better watch out because they were they were on the warpath and so as we think about these things as Christians we need, to, we, we need to not determine what we believe based on what our feelings are, what our culture says, or any of those other things. Like with every other topic that we uh, come across, we need to see what God's Word says and base our beliefs on that. Now, as I considered this question this week, I realized that there were two different questions that sound very similar, but they're actually very different questions. The first question is the specific one that was asked is, do pets or other animals go to heaven when they die? A very similar sounding question that's actually very different is, will there be animals in heaven? Now those two things have a, a slight difference, but they are different questions. And, and we're going to see a passage of scripture that hopefully will answer both of those questions. Now, I say hopefully because it doesn't speak to it directly. There's no Bible verse that speaks to this text or this question specifically. I would guess you find something in First Delusions chapter two or, or Second Opinions, but but you know we're not looking about the books of opinions or illusions. What we're looking for is what the Word of God says, and, and the Word of God gives us some some guidelines that we can use to to kind of uh, to kind of frame our answer. But we'll we'll, we'll just look at Romans chapter eight, and then we'll uh, see what the Bible has to say. So if you found Romans eight. And you're able to, I'd ask that you uh, stand with me in honor, uh, to honor God's word. We'll pick up in verse 18 and read down to verse 25. Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility... Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. 
For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes what he already sees? But if we hope for we do, if but if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. Thank you. May be seated. Now, as we read through that, you may have thought to yourself, "I don't know how that applies to our questions before us," because the Bible doesn't. Again, this this text doesn't speak specifically about. Uh, animals going to heaven or, or animals in heaven at all. So what I want us to do today is I want us to work through the text and then apply it to the question before us. And the first thing that I want you to see is in verse 18. And that is that there is a glorious future that awaits Christians. There's a glorious future awaiting Christians. Now Paul's encouraging his readers during times of, of difficulty. They're going through times of persecution and, and things like that. And so Paul is, is encouraging them in verse 18 as they face adversities. And he tells them that he says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to, re, to be revealed to us. Now, if you have the King James, you notice that it says, I reckon. Now, people today don't really use that term, I reckon, very often. I use it because I, that's, kind of the, that's just kind of the verbiage that I grew up with. And today, we use if we use that phrase, we use it like, I guess, or I suppose. Well, I reckon I'll do this. I reckon I'll go to the store and, and, and buy some, some groceries. But that's not the way Paul is using it. When he says, I reckon, or in, in my translation, it says, I consider, it's an accounting term. And what he's saying is, I've sat down, I've thought about it, I've weighed this that we're going through, plus the glory, uh, against the things that we're going to experience, and I've, I've decided, I've considered, I've reckoned, that those two things are not even on the same plane. Now, you remember those old uh, balance scales? You remember on, on one side, the image here is that, that Paul says all these bad things that we're going through, all the adversity, all the, all the disease, all the suffering, all the persecutions, all the disabilities, all those things are on one side. And on the other side, we have the glory that's to be revealed to us and in us. And he says when you put those things on the balance, when you put those things on the scale, the scale is so tipped to the glory side, we shouldn't even be talking about the adversity that we're facing. He says these things that we're facing are, are light in nature, and they're short in duration. It's not even worthy to be compared to the eternal weight of glory, as he terms it in 2 Corinthians 4.17. He says, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. So we have this glorious future that's before us, and it outweighs the bad stuff we're going through. No matter what it is, Paul says, no matter what you face in this life, it doesn't even come close to the glory that you'll experience. And that's an encouragement for us, isn't it? Because when we, when we go through hard times, it's never easy to get through them, but when we know that there's something better up ahead, it helps us, doesn't it? If we, if we knew that this life is all that there is, if we knew that, that you know, when I get through this bad stuff, eventually I'm going to pass away, and that's it. That's, that's depressing. But you know what? When we, when we have this, this glory that awaits us, it doesn't make our bad times any better, but it does give us hope as we face those things. So the first thing that he says is that glorious future that's ahead of us, it outweighs anything that we face in this life. 
The second truth I want you to see is that creation longs for our redemption. Creation longs for our redemption. And if you look at verses 19 and following, the reason for that is because our revelation as the sons of God is the key to creation being freed. Now, this is something that we don't usually think about, about creation being affected by our resurrection. But Paul says in verse 19 that the creation waits eagerly. And the wording that's used there of waiting eagerly, it's like you're craning your neck forward, trying just just anxious for, for what it is that's ahead. And he says creation, he personifies creation, he says creation waits eagerly for that. For the revelation of the sons of God. Now the word that he uses here for revelation is the same word that we use uh, that's used in the Bible to speak of the book of Revelation. Apocalypsis. It has the idea of unveiling, of, of pulling back what's covered. It has the idea of, of making manifest or, or open or plain. And so one day what he says is that not only will the children of God, all, all who are the children of God, not only will that be revealed... But also, this glory that awaits us, our standing before God, one day, that's all going to be made plain to, to the whole universe. One day, it will be revealed what we shall be like. One of these days, it will be revealed the glory that God has for us. Now, what he says here in verse 19 is that creation is waiting for that day. And when that happens, verse 20, creation will be free. It will be freed. Now, when we think of the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, we usually think about how it affects us, don't we? We think about Adam and Eve, they sinned. And so we think about the curse that God put on man. We think about the sin and death and disease that came into this world. We think about, uh, about the estrangement that it brought between us and God and us and each other. We think about how it affects our nature because now we have an inherited sin nature that, that is always inclined to evil. We have the flesh that we have to deal with as believers. We have all these things, and that's what we tend to think about with the fall. But if you'll remember in Genesis 3, God didn't just speak to Adam and Eve and their, their descendants. Because in Genesis chapter 3, God actually curses the earth. Notice what he says in Genesis 3, verses 17 to 19. God said, Cursed is the ground because of you, in toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread. Till you return to the ground. Because from it you are taken. For your dust and to dust you shall return. So God cursed the earth. He subjected it to futility. Because of man's sin. Not with the intention that was going to go on forever. But as Paul says in verses 19 and 20 and following, that he did it in hope. He did it with the expectation and the knowledge that one day creation would be liberated. So what is this futility, this slavery to corruption, as Paul terms it, what does that look like? Well, everywhere we look, we see decay. We see death. We see things breaking down. I mean, if... If you take an old car and, and fence row it, that's what we talk, called it back when I was a kid. You know what fence rowing it is, right? You take a, you take a car and you put it out in the fence row where nobody where it's out of the way and it just sits. You take a car out and, and you fence row it. It doesn't stay the way it, it doesn't, doesn't stay in the same condition as when you put it out in the field, does it? 
It breaks down. It decays. It rusts. It, it, it turns back into its base elements. When you look in the mirror, you can see that you don't look the same way you did 10 years ago, 20 years ago. You look in the mirror and you see there's breakdown. There's decay. Everywhere we look, we see this, this breaking down. We see this corruption. We see this, this, uh, this, this condition that all of us are in. And we don't even think about it most of the time because that's the way it's always been. But haven't you ever noticed that sometimes you, you think about these things, you think about the death and, and disease and all these things, and you think, this just in the way it ought to be. Because even in our hearts, even though we know that everything is breaking down around us, even though there's so much death and decay, we know that that's not the way things ultimately should be. I like the way one commentator put it. He said, there is an out-of-sortness, a disjointedness about the created order which makes it a suitable habitation for a man, for man at odds with his creator. So there awaits a glorious future for Christians, and creation eagerly waits for our revelation because one day the, the created world, the created order, is going to be freed from this corruption, this slavery to corruption, this death and decay that it's undergoing. And the last thing Paul says in verse 23 is that Christians too long for our redemption. Look at verse 23. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the change, pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but we ourselves, we Christians, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption of sons, the redemption of our body. So first Paul says that we have the first fruits of the Spirit. Now I'm not going to go through the whole law of first fruits because we talked about it not too long ago. But you remember that harkens back to the Old Testament law the Old Testament sacrificial system. And so uh, they lived in a, an agrarian culture where everything was based on the crops that they'd raised, the animals that they'd raised, and so forth. And so uh, a farmer would go out, he'd plant wheat, let's say, and when harvest time came, he would take the first cutting of that and he'd bring it to the temple, he'd bring it to the tabernacle, and he would offer it to God. It was an offering of first fruit saying, God, this, is, this comes from you, I recognize this, there's more to come that's just like this. But one of the things that it says is, the harvest has already started. And so when Paul says believers have the first fruits of the Spirit, I think he's essentially saying that the harvest has already started. This this goodness that we're going to have in, in the life to come, that's already begun. We have a foretaste of heaven by the indwelling of the Spirit. Even today, we have a glimpse, a taste of heaven. Now, you may have noticed, if, if you're paying good attention, in verse 23 that Paul spoke of our adoption and our redemption as a still future event. He spoke of our adoption and our redemption as a future event. So how does that fit with salvation? Because you might be saying, I thought when you get saved, you became a child of God. I thought when you got saved, you were adopted into God's family. And that happens if you, if, uh, if you notice verses 15 and 16, it wasn't up on the screen. But verse 15 and 16 says, For you have not received a spirit of slavery, leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And so what Paul is saying here is that when we get saved, when we put our faith in Christ, we're adopted into God's family. We receive a spirit of adoption, as he puts it. But while we experience that in the here and now there's a sense in which our redemption has not been culminated 
And what I mean is, as, as John says in, in the book of 1 John, it's not yet appeared yet as what we shall be. One of these days we will see Christ and we will be as He is. When we are saved, we become children of God, but, but we've not fully entered into the joy that's set before us. But one day, both our soul and our body is going to be redeemed. Our, our, and and that, that word redeemed has the idea of deliverance. Our bodies break down, they hurt, they decay, they break, they get old, they wither. But one day, that's, we're going to be delivered from that. And we're going to have a new body. We're going to have a glorified body. It's going to be physical, but it will never be subject to death and decay and corruption again. As someone has said, the particular effects of the adoption in this world are on the soul. The completion of it on the last day will be seen particularly in the body. And thus the entire man shall be admitted into the favor of God and restored from all his sins and all the evil consequences of the fall. So when does this redemption, this deliverance of death and decay for the body happens? It happens at the resurrection. And so Paul says, one day the dead in Christ shall be, shall be raised. And on that final day, things are going to be a lot different. Our bodies will be different. This old, this, this, the, the, all of creation that we see around us is going to be delivered from slavery to corruption. There are going to be some big changes that are on the way. Now, the question still remains, do pets and other animals go to heaven when they die? And you say, Pastor, I'm glad you talked about this because I'm going through a tough time and, and, and I'm looking forward to that day. That didn't answer my question. Whoever's question it is. So let's, let's try and apply this text to the question. Do pets or other animals go to heaven when they die? Well, we see it here in our text, and we see it in other places in Scripture. The redemption that Christ, that Christ provides affects all of creation. But it doesn't affect all of creation in the same way. You'll notice that, that Paul singles out Christ, Christians as opposed to the rest of creation. Said another way, Christ, creation will be liberated at Christ's return, but Christians will go to heaven at Christ's return. Why? Because Jesus did not die for animals, he died for people. See, Jesus came, he said, I came to seek and to save what? That which was lost. Your goldfish is lost. Your dog is not lost. Why? Because, because we as people rebel against God. We turn away from him. We reject him as our king. And, and animals can't do that. They cannot become children of God. A dog or a cat or a squirrel or a goldfish or anything else is not lost. They haven't rebelled against God. Now listen, creation is certainly affected by our sin. We saw that in our text. All of creation is, subject, is subjected to futility and slavery to corruption now. But animals are not morally responsible. Animals cannot hear and understand the gospel. Therefore, animals cannot be saved. Now, in addition to that, you'll notice that, that, re, that, that creation is affected by our, our redemption, our resurrection. But it's ancillary to it because it's almost like we're redeemed and creation gets pulled along with us. So to answer the question of whether or not pets go to heaven when they die, 
there is no biblical support for the idea that we will see certain pets or other animals in heaven. Now, I said that there's another question that's very similar sounding, but it's actually a much different question. The question is, will there be animals in heaven? Will there be animal life in heaven? Now, biblical scholars and, and students of Scripture are, are divided on this topic. Um, and really, if you read two or three of them, you'll get five or six different answers. This is what I think, and this is the reason. This is what I think, and that's the reason. So those who say no point out that you know heaven's portrayed as, as a place for, uh, for believers, not animals, and so forth. And that's, that's true. But on the other hand, there are some passages of Scripture, as well as biblical reasons, that indicate that it's at least a possibility that there will be animal life in heaven. And I'm going to share some of those with you. Revelation 21 and 22 says that God will create a new heaven and what? A new earth. Now, in many ways, paradise which was lost in Eden will be paradise restored in heaven in a lot of ways. Heaven is going to be a spiritual place, but it's also a physical place. Because our bodies that we have right now are going to be resurrected. There's going to be a change. They're going to be glorified. But we will have physical bodies. See, when people think about heaven, a lot of times they think like, like we're just some disembodied spirits just floating around in the sky forever. But the Bible shows us that, that heaven is not like that. The Bible teaches that, that we will have glorified physical bodies and we will inhabit a new earth. Now, when you add to that, that God in his original creation, he made animal life. All kinds of variety, all kinds of colors, all kinds of functions. And at the end of that creation, what did he say? That's good. And by the time he was all done, he said, that's very good. So we know that the animal life, in some form or fashion, was made to bring glory to God. And with the new earth, it would stand to reason that that would continue in the eternal state. There's also passages of Scripture that, that speak of animals in the age to come. So, for instance, Isaiah chapter 11, verses 6 to 9. says, And the wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and the little boy will lead them. Also the cow and the bear will graze, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The nursing child will play by the hole of a cobra, and the winged child will put his hands on the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Later in Isaiah chapter 65, verse 25 says, The wolf and the lamb will grace together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox, and dust will be the serpent's food. They will do no evil or harm in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Now it could be that the Bible is using that simply as a picture of peace, the peace that we will experience the lack of, of animosity and hostilities in heaven. But it seems odd that God would use pictures of animals getting along to say people will get along if animals aren't really there. And it could be, but it seems, seems like a strange thing to say. So, how's that uh, tie with the passage that we read today? Well, Paul says that when we are resurrected on that last day, that all of creation is going to be free. Animal life is certainly part of that creation. 
So to answer the question of whether or not there will be animals in heaven, I'll say maybe. Because the Bible doesn't give us direct teaching. Right? So if the Bible said there will be animals in heaven, I'd say yes. And if the Bible said there won't be animals in heaven, I'd say no. But the Bible doesn't say anything. And so we have to use some speculation. The Bible certainly leaves open the possibility that there will be animal life in heaven. It certainly does. Now the issue that lies behind this question much of the time is that people have a dog, cat, some other animal that's been very meaningful to them. Right? And and when they lose that animal, there's there's grief. And they they have trouble picturing life without that animal. And 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 they they think, well, I, I I just can't truly be happy without this animal by my side. And if that's our mindset, we really need to we really need to probe and ask ourselves why our hearts why why we're basing so much of our eternal happiness on an animal rather than the savior of our soul. See, now don't get me wrong, I've had animals that I was very fond of. And you probably have too if, if, if you had animals growing up or maybe you have some now. There are probably animals that, that you'll remember for the rest of your life. Animals can be a blessing. Sometimes they can help us through those difficult times. But think about it. When you get to heaven and you see Jesus Christ face to face, the one who died on the cross for you, the one who leads you, who sustains you, who guides you, who helps you in this life, I don't think we're going to give a lot of thought to a dog, no matter how special it was to us in this life. Now, like I said, I know there are animals that are, that are blessings. I know a man that went out hunting one time. He was, I can't remember if it was duck or goose hunting, but he went out with his dog. And while he was out hunting, he had a heart attack. And his dog drug him where he could get help. I don't know how he did it, because he's a huge man. I was, I'm, I'm not being mean. I did jujitsu with this dude, and he is, when I did it with him, he was 365 pounds, and he had lost a bunch of weight. He was a Division One football player. He's a big man. I don't know how that dog moved him, but that dog was a blessing to him, right? He, he, was, he was a help to that man. Let me tell you, I've, I've seen pictures. He gets all kinds of special treatment. When it's cold, he ain't outside. He's in the house laying by the fireplace. Listen, those animals can be special to us. Or, you know, maybe a loved one gives it to us. Or, or we, we, we go through a tough time and it's like that animal's the, the only one that we can talk to without judgment or something. I mean, those, those things are blessings. But when we start talking about animals going to heaven and so forth, a more important question than will Fluffy go to heaven is will you go to heaven? Will I go to heaven? Because the Bible says, the Bible doesn't say the animals are saved by Jesus, but the Bible says the people are saved by Jesus. And the Bible says that each of us is a sinner in need of saving. The Bible says that we're all sinners and Jesus died for sinners. And that if we'll put our faith in Him, He will forgive us, He will save us, and we'll find Him the perfect Savior. The Bible says if we'll come to him, he'll in no wise cast us out. That means that you say, well, pastor, you don't know what I've done, what I've thought, what I've said. You just don't know I'm too bad. Listen, Jesus said nobody 
that comes to Him. He won't cast any of them out. You're not going to come to Jesus and Him say, I'm sorry. Just a little too bad. I just didn't die for you because your sin's too much. But if you will turn to Him, He will save you. And if you've never done that, if you've never put your faith in Him, I call on you to do that today. And listen, like I said, I'm not, I'm not downplaying the importance of animals in our lives. But a, a, an appropriate response, if you have some, some animal that's been special to you, is thank God for it. What have we seen earlier? Praise God from whom what? All blessings flow. He's the one that gives us the blessings. If he gave it to you, thank him for it. Want to stand with me as musicians come? And as you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And with nobody looking around, I just... I ask, ask you to consider the more important question than whether or not our animals will be in heaven is whether or not we will be in heaven. Heavenly Father, Lord, I ask that you would be with each of us today. God, I pray that you would uh, would help us to uh, not only have animals in the rightful place in our lives, but everything else, our possessions, our jobs, our church. Help us have you in the right position in our lives. Because we know that it's so easy to get our priorities mixed up to put things higher up on the on the scale than what they ought to be. And God, I pray that you'd help each of us to to recognize the blessings you've given us, whether it be with the friendship of an animal, the friendship of a person. God, we live in a, a country that's been blessed beyond measure, and we know that's a blessing, and we thank you for it. And God, for that person, maybe who's going through a difficult time today. Lord, I pray that you would encourage them, help them to know as believers we have something better ahead of us. And then no matter what we're going through now, Paul says that it doesn't even deserve to be compared. Let that be an encouragement to each one of us. God, I pray that you would convict and draw each of us and help us in the ways that we need. In Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah.